0: morning. Fantastic. Hey, next week we're going to do a 5.30 uh, worship service. It's going to be real chill. Uh, it's not going to be like we do on a Sunday morning. It's going to be out the back, just some acoustic worship. So come along. It's going to be different. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, it was very good. Uh, it was what we did for our worship uh, night or during our fasting and prayer, was, it's going to be very much like that. So next week is going to be great. I encourage you to come along, uh, uh, particularly if you're not coming to camp. But even if you are, 5.30, we're all going to be here uh, worshiping God together. So it would be great to have you. Today we're going to continue <clears throat> the series that we've been doing called Crazy, Crazy Church. Crazy Church. Why is it called Crazy Church? Why are we doing this? It is the Church of Corinth. And there's a lot of craziness going on in the Church of Corinth. If you've been with us, how long has this series been? So long. Oh no, a lot more than six weeks. Yeah, yeah, because uh, we've been spending about a chapter per, uh, or a Sunday per chapter, and we're about uh, to the 11th chapter. And last week, I only went through half of chapter 11 and we're doing the next half, or the first half, I should say, of uh, chapter 11 today. But <clears throat> I nearly skipped this 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 chapter. And the reason I nearly skipped this part of Scripture, not the whole chapter, was I didn't feel it was all that relevant to us. You'll see why once I read it. But after I got into it, I... Um, I really thought, hey, you know, God challenged me. Go, no, 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 the, the, every part of Scripture is, is obviously relevant. But um, this part of Scripture, it actually is one of the toughest things I've ever spoken on, uh, certainly in this series. And it reminds me of, um, <clears throat> of a four-wheel drive journey. We went on four-wheel driving a little while ago. And uh, we've just got, you know, we've just got a four-wheel drive. And so we're going checking it out. We went on a mountain trip. And, uh, um, and you know, there was this section of, uh, it was Mount Me, by the way. It was qu- quite steep, okay. Uh, there's parts of that trip that we went through some water. And, you know, you've got to be careful. You don't want to get bogged. <clears throat> this part of Scripture is one of those parts where you slow down, and you take it slow, all right? You want to be precise. You don't want to mess around with it. Um, And so it's going to be a different way that we look at it, uh, that that we teach this morning, that we're going to go through it this morning. Slightly different to how we normally do it. Go a little bit slow because uh, there there is a lot of intricacies in this. So bear with me. And you're wondering, why am I building it up so much? Wait, just wait till I read this part of Scripture. If you have not even... Uh, read it yet it's going to be interesting now listen okay all right you ready for this okay <clears throat> i praise you for remembering me in everything and for holding me and holding to the traditions just as i pass them on to you now when you're gonna get uh into some tough stuff the best thing to do is to butter up your audience you know okay so it's suppose like i remember you because you you're great and you did all the stuff that i told you and the very next word but but, and I'm just going to go through this. I'm going to come back. I'm going to read it quickly. I'm going to come back and go through it in detail. But I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ. And the head of every woman is man. And the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. It is the same as having a head shape. For if a woman... Uh, does not cover her head she might as well have her hair cut off but if it is a disgrace for a woman to, for a woman to have a hair cut off or a head shaved, then she should cover her head a man, a man had ought not to cover his head since he is the image and the glory of god but the woman is the glory of man for man did not come from woman but woman from man neither was man created for woman but woman for man It is for this reason that a woman ought to to have authority over her uh, her own head because of the angels. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. For as woman came from man, so also man is born of woman, but everything comes from God. Judge for yourself, is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not the very nature of things teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a disgrace to him? But if a woman has long hair, it is her glory. For long hair is given to her as a covering. If anyone wants to be contentious about this, we have no other practice, nor the churches of God. Wow. Who's excited about this part of Scripture? Well, I brought some clippers and some head coverings. We're going to sort this out today. I'm glad you're finding this funny. I worked hard on this part of Scripture this whole week. It was a struggle. And I did my research. And it's important that we go through all of this. And this is the thing about going through Scripture chronologically. You don't get to miss bits. You cover everything. And when you do that, you cover the things that you wouldn't normally go through. And we've got to ask some really tough questions. We do. We've got to ask it is it relevant now? Is any of it relevant now? Is it just culturally appropriate because people say that about morality, sexuality? Oh, that was the culture at that time. Now we're different, nothing goes. The big question here is what are universal truths and what are local cultural ideals or perspectives? going to go all over today. <laughs> Let's pray. First, <laughs> Father, we come before you, come before you, your word humbly and God, we feel like a child speaking to children about things that are so beyond us. Astrophysics. <laughs> and Lord, we just pray that through your holy spirit that you will give us truth. We would move forward in love, honor, respect. That all people would flourish. That we would take your word seriously. That we would do the job of the theologian as all of us ought to be in some sense. Looking to understand and apply your word in our context. We thank you for your wisdom. Your word says, ask and don't doubt. Ask for wisdom and God will give it to you. Do not doubt. And so we thank you for your wisdom. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. But I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of every woman is man. And the head of Christ is God. Do you think anyone might have an issue with that little verse there? How about this bit? The head of woman is man. Do you reckon that's contentious? You're like Kim, I don't like what you're saying. I haven't started saying it. I'm just reading it. <laughs> I'm preaching yet. I'm just reading it. But let's give some uh, context to this. Let's go back to the Genesis and how God created man and woman. God created mankind. Genesis 1:27 says God created mankind in His own image. In the image of God He created them, male. And female, he created them. At the very start, the first chapter of the Bible, God creates man and woman in his image. Both are created to reflect who God is. God, the holy God of Israel, is reflected in both men and women. And we are equal before God. You go all the way to the other side of the Bible, nearly at the end. In Galatians, the Apostle Paul, the same guy who, who wrote the scripture we just read. In Galatians chapter 3 verse 28 says this, There is neither Jew nor Gentile. He's talking about race. There is neither slave nor free. He's talking about socioeconomic standard. There is neither male nor female. He's talking about gender. For you are all one in Christ. Now, what's he saying? There's no such thing as male and female. There's no such thing as rich and poor. There's no such thing as Jew or Gentile. No, he's not saying that. He's saying that all of that, no matter where you stand, Jew, Gentile, uh, male, female, slave or free, you're all equal in Christ. But the differences still stand. You're still different. You're equal, but different. Equality does not mean we're all the same. Or we even have the same function. A Jew is a Jew and a Gentile is a Gentile. And that's based on your DNA. Where you come from. We're different. But we are equal in God's sight. If that's the case, then what is male headship that he talks about in Scripture? And when you turn to Ephesians chapter 5, you read about headship, male headship over there. Well, we're going to touch a little bit on that today. And hopefully as we go through the Scripture, that would become apparent. There's so many things we're going to be touching on today, gender roles, Biblical masculinity, femininity, male-female authority structures, and really, they are all such big topics that all we're going to do is just touch them. Okay, uh, we don't have a you know unless you want to be here till four o'clock. You know, you okay with that? No, okay. Uh, so we're just going to touch on them. I'm not prepared to be here till four o'clock either, um, or to have that content to give you. But let's let's keep going through this. Every man. Who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head cover with her head uncovered dishonors her head. It's the same as having her head shaved. For if a woman does not cover her head, she might as well have her hair cut off. But if a, if it is a disgrace for a woman to have her hair cut off or her head shaved, then she should cover her head. Covering heads. Don't see very many heads covered. That was meant to be a joke. <laughs> when interpreting Scripture, it's really important that we understand the cultural context. Otherwise, you start applying things that are not meant to be applied in that way. It's really important that we understand what the, the context that Paul is speaking into, what's going on in his world so we can understand how to apply it in our world. Head coverings in almost every culture, this is universal except for our Western culture, modern day Western culture, has always been a a symbol of modesty. If you go to India or anywhere in the Middle East, for the most part, you will have women that will cover their heads in public. Now, this is not part of our culture, but it has been for a very long time, thousands of years, particularly in biblical culture. And what that meant was, is that, hey, this is a symbol that I'm not available. I'm not available. Maybe I- I'm modest. I'm gonna, it's the idea that I will only expose my beauty to my husband. That was the idea. Now, if you were single, it's to signal that I'm not. Hey, I'm not available in that way, just to any old person. Because if you were in that culture, what it would mean is that you, you know, even if you were young and you were a a, a young person that not yet married, you're a single person. Someone in your family, generally your dad, would would find someone. Or you would find someone and you talk to your dad and there would be this thing and they would arrange it. That's how it worked in that culture, right? It's not just, hey, I'm going to, in our culture is very, it can, our culture can be very promiscuous. Let's just check it out and see how it works. So this idea was an idea of modesty. Now, let's, let's contrast that to what was going on in Corinth. Corinth. Was a hypersexualized society. They had temples that encouraged temple prostitution. There's one temple, the Temple of Aphrodite, the, um, the goddess of love, that had one thousand prostitutes. One thousand prostitutes. That j- their job was basically to earn money through their prostitution for the temple. And the way they showed that they were available was they did not cover their heads. The priestesses would not cover their heads, they were available. Now we have symbols of marriage and so on in our culture, this ring generally on your left finger. Generally, not in every culture, but our culture indicates you're taken. When I got engaged, I gave Bethany a diamond ring that cost me a lot. (laughs) I just have to add that in there. And I still remember, I still (laughs) shut up. But Bethany said to me, he goes, hold on. Okay, this is a symbol that I'm taking off the market. How about you? You don't have a symbol that you're taking off the market. I'm like, I like this. Maybe I should get a ring. So I did, I got a ring with a black diamond. I loved it, it was great. But these are the symbols that we have in our culture. Now, hair covering, in, head covering in that culture meant something. Now, what would happen if you covered your head in this culture? What would it mean? What was that? You're cold. <laughs> you know, I, I think of those, you know, I think of maybe, most, for, for the most part, I think it's just a fashion statement, a very bad one at that, but, you know, a fashion statement. Perhaps I think of those, you know, those uh, European ladies that got that scarf around. You know, you know what I'm talking about? Movies, you know, in the in in a convertible car. But really, it doesn't really mean now what it did back then. But there is a deeper truth that Paul is alluding to. He's saying the family unit is sacred. We are called to be sexually pure. We're called to have respect for God's way. You know, what if you're, what if you're single? It says, it says in, in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4, marriage should be honored by all. And the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and the sexually immoral. It doesn't say marriage should be honored by by the married people he says marriage should be honored by all you create a culture whether you're married or not whether you're single uh widowed widower whatever it may be it is a culture that you create where he says hold on sexuality is to be expressed in the confines of heterosexual marriage and we build our culture around that. Now, in Paul's culture, he's saying, hey, it is not appropriate for our women to, be, to have uncovered heads and beasts. Do you get, the? now that you understand the context, what he's trying to say? It doesn't mean the same thing to us. You can wear something on your head. But that's not going to say anything, really. So, there's context and this cultural aspects are around this that help us understand what Paul was talking about and then help us to apply it to ourselves. This is why we, we, don't, we don't wear head coverings. We don't need to. But we do need to honor marriage. We do need to be sexually pure. That's what Paul preaches. He, he's preached about in 5, 6, and 7. Chapters 5, 6, and 7. We should hold these things, sexual purity, in very high regard. Uh, Verse 7, A man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God. But woman is the glory of man. For man did not come from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. It is for this reason that women ought to have authority over their own heads because of the angels. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, No, is man independent of woman. For as woman came from man, so also man is born of woman, but everything comes from God. Everything comes from God. What is Paul talking about here? When he says here, for man did not come from woman, but woman from man, what's he talking about? He's talking about the, created, the creation of God and the created order of things. He's going back to the very, very start. Now, there are some difficult ideas here. We've got to ask this. Is this just cultural or is this universal? Does this apply to us or is it just context, contextual for them, like the head covering thing? Well, let's go back to what Paul is pointing to. He's talking about the start in Genesis 1, correct? Now, I want to just stop for a second. And I want to say that I understand throughout history, perhaps even in your your experience, that these ideas have been used to abuse and to dominate people, women in particular. There is no place for that in the kingdom of God. You know when Jesus rose from the dead, the first people he showed up to were Do you know why? Women did not have a standing in those days in court. They could not stand and represent uh, uh, they, their testimony wasn't wasn't taken as as valid because they were women. And so when Jesus showed up to women first and they were required to be the witnesses first, Before to the men, he was saying, I value you as much as anyone else. And it is through our tradition, our Christian faith, that the oppression that there were over women, sometimes historically, and sometimes it wasn't there, but in a lot of times historically it was there, that women were liberated into the freedom that we have now, and that is good. And that was the way God would want it. Because even in biblical times, there was the oppression of women. For example, polygamy. That that is a distortion of how God would have a woman and a man joined equally, where one belongs to the other. But to have multiple wives is to, is to share yourself in a way that God never intended life to be. But that happened. Even in biblical times, because it's a distortion of God's intention for how we were meant to live. So we've got to understand that there has been distortions of this, but that doesn't change the intent of how God created things to be. Now, again, I understand that people would have issues and, uh, uh, with this, and I, I just encourage you just to pray about it. Just to pray about how 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 this looks in your life and let my job is not to tell you what to believe my job is not tell you what you should do my job is to preach the word of god to you and allow the holy spirit to transform you because when a man tells you what you should or shouldn't do and you and you obey it and it's not coming from within you through conviction of the holy spirit that'll only last for that long We're not called to give law and give uh, and and to give uh, commands and this. I'm called to preach the word of God and let the Holy Spirit within you change and end, bring flourishing to our relationships, our community, and overflow to the world. Are, Are you with me here? All right, so let's, let's keep going through this. So Paul points to the beginning. He goes, man did not come, ooh, man did not come from woman, but woman from man. So what's he pointing to? Well, he's pointing to Genesis 1. The first few words of the Bible says, in the beginning, God created. That is very important. Let me ask you a question. Do you believe that? Let me tell you, a lot of Christians these days, who would call themselves sort of Christians, who believe in the work of Jesus Christ, have questioned that. Whether creation is some sort of form of evolution. Now, there's, there's ideas around, but let me tell you the fact that men and women are created in the image of God means they were created. He breathed His life into them. We are not the product of millions or billions or quadrillions of years, we are the product of intention. He created. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In Genesis 1:27, we already read that. He made them male and female. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God created males and females from the very start? See, Paul goes all the way back to discuss a universal truth that God created. And God created male and female. And why am I hopping on this? Because if you believe God created, then you believe that life belongs to God. And therefore, life is sacred because it belongs to God. That's why, as Christians, we have a problem with things that have to do with cutting short life. And I understand it's complicated, and I understand there are different perspectives, but wherever we come to this point of playing with life, we need to be careful. If we believe, of course, that God is created. And if you don't believe that, that you believe that you're a product of evolution, and you're here, and your life belongs to no one else but you, and yeah, you can understand where they're coming from. You get it. But it comes down to where you believe your origins are. Now, if you believe that God created the male and female, then gender is sacred. Your gender is not fluid. Your gender is not your choice. Your gender is given by God if you believe God created the male and female. Now, for the most part, in our society gender is put forward as a social construct now what does that mean it means that you know i wear pants because my parents told me your boy don't wear dresses okay your boy you shouldn't do this you shouldn't do that and therefore my masculinity and who i became was formed by society and same thing with women that is not true no sure there are social norms you know, it's got to do with fashion and things like that. But your biology and your gender is linked to your biology. That's a scientific fact. This gender being fluid and in accordance with a, so, a complete social construct is not scientific fact. You could pull a 3,000 year old mummified body from an Egyptian pyramid and do a scientific test, and it will tell you if it was a male or female based on the dna it's in the very core of who we are that's scientifically but more important theologically god created them male and female and if you believe that then you believe that gender is sacred and if you believe all of that then you believe that sexuality as god intended it to be is also sacred But you see, it all comes back to believing that God created, God created a male and female and is the building blocks. And then this becomes universal for understanding how we live life. And Paul looks at this, he points all the way back to the start and he points back to a couple of things. One, the the sanctity of your life. The sanctity of sexuality, the sanctity of gender, and the sanctity of the the authority structure that God has put in place to guard the family and to guard society. Biblically, that is how I see it. That is how many theologians see it. There are some um, more liberal interpretations of that that would see many things that we would consider wrong, biblically wrong, and think very clearly biblically wrong, including uh, different forms of uh, sexuality, uh, they would contextualize that more as um, as a cultural norm. I think it's very clear that from the start of creation, how God intended things to be. Are you with me? And so, Paul points to creation as some universal truth. So we've, we've gone from a cultural setting about head coverings. We've gone to some universal truths. We're going to go back to what I believe is also a cultural setting. Here we are. I told you this is going to be slow and it's going to be different. Okay, we're going through a very steep slope here. <laughs> Verse 13. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? We just We covered that. Okay, there's not the very nature, everyone say nature, nature of things tell you that if a man has long hair, it is, it is a disgrace to him. Mm. All right, man buns, they got to go. Let's, the, the. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just, I'm just messing with you. I'm messing with you. But if a woman has long hair, it, it is to a glory. For long hair is given to her as a covering. If anyone wants to be contentious about this we have no other practice nor do the churches of god all right (laughs) nature nature all right is it natural for for men to have short hair and women to have long hair and paul points to nature in this in this section over here now When you look at nature, quite often, it's the opposite, isn't it? You look at a lion, and a lion has a larger mane. A peacock. It's the males that have the big feathers. So, is there a nature that requires, a, a, a nature, a universal law that requires men to have short hair? Well, no, you don't see that in nature. You don't see a universal law there. But the best explanation I've seen for this is from John Piper, who is a pastor and a theologian, a great expositor of the Word, and he talks about the cultural defined symbols of womanhood. It is unnatural for a man to wear culturally defined symbols of womanhood. What do I mean by that? If I turn up next week and I'm wearing... A skirt, stilettos, and I shave my legs, which no. I slow down. Um, I've got I've got nice dangly earrings like my wife has, like you know the dangly ones that have like three levels or whatever. And um, I, I wear a a lady shirt, <laughs> a blouse, a blouse, yeah a lady shirt, um, and I'm wearing some lipstick, yeah, the red stuff, okay? Um, yeah, you're laughing for a reason because you understand that that's just not how guys dress, right, it's culturally defined norms. I mean, my, my leaders would be right to go, uh, can we just have a word with you in the side room, please? <laughs> Elders would, would just say, uh, uh, firstly, are you okay? <laughs> And secondly i don't think it's appropriate that you preach the bible like this because we know we're pretty sure that you're a man (laughs) okay so here's the thing um there are culturally defined norms now if i had a piece of you know whatever a skirt looking thing uh, on that does not mean a man in scotland cannot wear his kilt or our brother over here. Um, what do they call those things in, in some? Or that they your, lava lava. Well, that's culturally defined as normal as a man would wear those things. Right? There, there are people in Africa and PNG men that, that wear year, like what we would call earrings. But in that culture, it's culturally defined as a male thing or or, or neutral. So what Paul is saying here, it is unnatural for a man in his context to wear a culturally defined uh, um, symbol of womanhood, which in that culture, in Corinthian culture, if you had long hair, in that culture, was it, 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 you defined yourself as a woman that way, and short hair defined yourself as a man. So we see this this here as a as a local cultural perspective on how we ought to live is that men need to be men women need to be women in that culture it meant long this culture it may mean stilettos it may mean lipstick it may mean makeup the idea is quite simple god created you in his image he created them male and female gender belongs to god Sexuality belongs to God, life belongs to God. There are some things that are sacred, that, ought, that are universal and ought not to be touched. <laughs> Does that mean we do not care about people who have gender dysphoria, gender confusion? Does that mean we don't care? Would Jesus care about them? Absolutely. You know, we all have identity issues. We all are insecure, and some people have it about their gender or their sexuality. That's, that's part of being human. And we ought to embrace, help, care for people that have need. Church is a hospital. And just, bef- just because we here, and you know, quite likely there are people possibly even here that may have issues with this, an identity issue with this. And that's fine, you're in the right place. But just because we may not personally have that issue doesn't mean that we can point a a finger at someone else and say, that's worse than what, you know, that sin is worse than my sin. Our sin is sin before God. But it's also wrong just to say, hey, anything goes is just another choice. Not in accordance with the word of God. Because God creates a universal, we see this through the scripture, we see it through the whole scripture. There's universal expectations for the value of life, the value of sexuality, and the value of your gender. It's sacred. It's not our decision. It has been given as a gift from God. I think this is what Paul is expressing in this. And many theologians would put That forward. I believe I've done the best I can do with this scripture. Now, I want to acknowledge that there is content, be it male headship, um, you know, gender, and so on, that has been abused. And even as I touch on this, people are experiencing some level of discomfort. Perhaps people may be feeling some level of discomfort. And if that is the case, then our natural inclination would be to say... No, I'm, that's not true. That, I'm not, I don't agree with that. And that's okay. You can you not agree. I'm, I'm okay, by the way, with people not agreeing with me. you know, um, I'm perfectly okay with that. I'm happy to talk further about it. Um, but I would say this to you. You know, pray about it. Take it to God. Ask Him for His wisdom. But we gotta be careful as Christians, we've got to ask ourselves, are we going to live according to the Word, or are we going to make up our own way, our own morality, our own form of Christianity? That's a that's question we've got to ask. Now, I understand that some of the things are difficult as to how we interpret that and apply it to our lives today. It's difficult. I get it. But we're going to ask ourselves, are we going to do what Adam and Eve did. Let's go back to original sin. What was the original sin? I will make the decisions for myself. Adam and Eve, do not take of that fruit, but it looks good. And the serpent said, it would make me wise. And this is the way it is. And looking around, I don't see any reason not to. And they made a decision to live outside of the will and the purpose and the command of God and take a hold of their own reasoning, (coughs) pardon me, their own perspective and to eat of that fruit. And that is the same temptation that is open to each and every one of us. Will I do the work, even though it may be difficult, to try and understand and apply scripture or will I go, "Uh uh-uh, that doesn't make sense. I'm going to choose my own way of living. Because that is how the world lives. They don't believe that God created the heaven and the earth. They don't believe there's specific um, ways that He created humanity to live. And therefore, we have a board of anything that we can do. And it kind of makes sense. Because you take away God, you take away intention, you take away, and then you're just a, you're just floating around through evolution and you can change. It's fluid. That makes sense. But it does not make sense for a Christian to say, I believe that God created us to be saying, well, let me form my own form of morality. I hope I'm making sense here. Like I said, today was going to be different. Now, I think to a very big point that is being discussed in this scripture. It begs some answers on the roles in marriage. So, there's some things that I think are very important here. We did touch on that already. But number one, I think marriage is to be mutual and for mutual enjoyment, growth, and benefit for both in the relationship. If a man ever has to turn to Ephesians chapter 5 and go, Well, my husband's wives submit to your husbands, he's probably not doing a very good job. Or he probably doesn't understand what that actually means. Bethany and I, we did a little conversation uh, last night talking about this because we've been talking about it through the whole week. I've talked to women inside and outside of the church um, just to get a different perspective. Um, and, you know, we talked, we talked quite openly about how we see it in our marriage, how it works, and uh, we're going to put that up online um, on on Spotify. I believe Al is going to put that. It's just like a little podcast. It's only about 20 minutes and so, if you want to get a little bit of extra context on how we live this out, how we see it, and some of the uh, thoughts uh, are around that, um, feel free to listen to that. It'll be on Spotify. but let's be very clear here that this is this is not uh, an opportunity for for domination or anything like that. this is a this is this is meant for mutual benefit. So practically, the question needs to be asked, what does spiritual headship actually mean? For that, I go straight to the Bible, straight to the verse that we talked about, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, it says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word to present her to himself As a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any blemish, but holy and blameless, in the same way husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself. There's a picture here of a husband or man, and we'll apply this to, to single people as well in just a second. It apparently is most important to God that we look at our family, our wives, and our children by extension at their spiritual well-being. Primarily, it's put forward in the Scripture. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for it, what did Christ do? He laid down his life. He laid down, he sacrificed his desires he said god if it were if there's any other way can this cup pass from me <coughs> he literally did what he did not want to do so that the body of christ or the bride of christ might be saved and that is what is asked of every man every husband cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to Himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. This is a tough ask. To say, God, I'm, I'm going to make my goal to make sure that the people that are under my inf- sphere of influence are going to be serving You, healthy before You, that are where well, they're going to stand before You one day, and they're going to be going. They're going to be going great. More so than their financial uh, well-being and their health and everything else is their spiritual life. Where are they at? Now, how does that extend to the rest of culture? Well, leadership needs to be shown in all aspects of culture. Now, uh, I had some conversations this week, like I said, and... Um, one of the ladies uh, asked me a very, very good question. How is that different to a woman who loves her husband? Is that a good question? Like, shouldn't shouldn't, shouldn't the woman do the same thing? So so at at the very root of that question, the question is here, what is the unique role of a man? You know, what is unique? What is the unique role that cannot be fulfilled by a woman? Is that a good question? I think it's a great question. And I thought about it a lot this week. I mean, is it, is, is it that, uh, you know, traditional gender roles, like the man uh, provides and the woman nurtures? Is, is that is that what it... I don't think so. Women can obviously do things... Uh, women, but this is just a fact. Women are smarter than men, like on average. I'm not saying that every woman is smarter than every man, okay? But on average, women are smarter than men. Women are more mature than men. That is also true on average. They mature a lot quicker. Sometimes Bethany, you know, I, I you know, I know I see more mature in church and everything, and then I go home, and Bethany often says, "And I have four boys." <laughs> So I came to this conclusion, and it's not solid uh, and and uh, finalized by any means. But I don't really have an answer other than to say that this is how Scripture lays it out. This is how Scripture lays it out. Not my idea. <laughs> it lays out humble leadership. Now, apparently, I think it's worthwhile touching on. Apparently, around the world, and this is mentioned by many sociologists um, and uh, political commentators and so on, there's a crisis of masculinity. Men who would like to stay boys and look to online pleasures to replace the adventure of life. To that, I need to say we need to man up, we need to rise to the occasion women seem to be doing a great job even in church in general particularly in the american or modern church it is more readily you'll see a lot more women than you will men men will often stay home there's something going on in our culture that we do not fully understand yet but we are called as christian men particularly to stand to lead and to particularly be concerned about the spiritual welfare of our family but also our church our sphere of influence to lead people to point towards god i want to i want to end this by talking about a submissive heart in general ephesians chapter 5 verse 21 before it talks about marriage it says this i'm going to turn there ephesians Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. You know, we all have, let's put it this way. The beginning of sin came out of rebellion, rebellion against God. And since then, rebellion has just been part of every every person's heart and life. We see kids. They like to rebel. (laughs) But we have authority structures in absolutely every aspect of life. We have it at work. We have it in church. We have it. And Paul's instruction here is to, hey, let's not be rebels. Let's submit to one another. Out of reverence, for who? For Christ. This is not a a male thing. This is not a female thing. This is a heart thing. Are we willing to understand that, hey, God, God is the head of all things. Are we willing to submit to Him, first of all? And if we're willing to do that, I think everything else will sort itself out. Are we willing to submit to Him to his word and again i'm not trying to you know give instructions on how people ought to live and uh, in specific detail that's outside of scripture that's up to you and god but i'm here to preach the word of god and let god speak into your hearts to work out how you would have you live and i understand it's complicated these things are complicated how's it work in different cultural settings and when one person's a christian and the other person is not and there's there's conflict i get that all of that That's why we work it out with the work of the Holy Spirit. And the question I have to to ask each and every one of us is, do we have that heart of submission to God, to His Word, or are we coming at life with our own perspective? It's what I think should be done. As we end this morning, I want to end with the gospel. The gospel is this. We have all sinned, which means we have all rebelled, Against the will and the purpose of God. And therefore we are all under judge- the judgment of God. However, the great gift of Jesus Christ is this. That he came down, that he took all that sin, all that judgment, all that rebellion upon himself. And he died, he took the full punishment. Punishment. For our rebellion upon himself, the full judgment of God. And he stood between a rebel earth and a holy God and represented justice done so that you and I now may be free. We're free. Do we sin? Yes. Do we have wrong perspectives? Probably. Do we get things wrong? Are we perfect in our understanding? No, we see in part. But that's okay, because I'm washed by the blood of Jesus Christ, and I'm led by His Holy Spirit. And I can be brave, and I can be bold based on my faith in Him. (coughs) Not on my trust, not on trust in myself, because I'm fallible, but trust in my God. Amen? Let's stand and let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word, your word that challenges us, your word that that cuts, but also heals, your word that brings health and direction, perspective, help. And I pray, Father, that every heart here would, would hear your word, would take it, and that your Holy Spirit would speak, and bring transformation and change. God, let us not use these words to become coarse and harsh, judgmental, especially to those who are hurt and suffering. Let us be a place of love and acceptance and words of of healing, Lord, and acts acts of love, Father. Let us reflect Jesus, yet let us be a center of truth, a light, Father, showing with our lives, Father, and the way we live and act, love and direction and God's plan and purpose for this world. We honor you with everything we have. We honor your word. We take you seriously. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And everyone said, amen. amen. Guys, thanks so much for joining us this morning. Uh, if you need prayer for anything, I'm, I'm ready to pray with you. Don't leave this place without prayer. If you want to discuss anything, I'm, I'm uh, either today or another day, welcome to uh, ha- happy uh, and welcome a conversation. And uh, uh, next week, we'll be at camp. Don't show up here at 10 a.m. Show up at 5.30. We'd love to see you. Grab a coffee if you're here. We have a free, if you're here for the first time, we have a free coffee for you. Be blessed and we'll see you next week.